0: Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God in Independent RPG Podcast. I am your host Cat Bailey. Joining me, as always, my lovely co-host Nadia Oxford. Hello, Cat. Uh, guess what? Guess what? 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 What?
1: What? I got a sick ass tattoo last week.
0: Oh my god, where is it? Can it's... I see it?
1: Yeah, it's on my arm. Uh, nowhere no. X-rated. You can kind of see it.
0: I'm kind of trying to look right now, like the camera. (laughs) Oh my God, what is that?
1: That's a pretty sick ass tattoo. uh, I got uh, Auron from the Neverending Story. I don't know if you've seen it or read it. Nerd. Oh, total nerd. Absolutely. It's fantastic.
0: Neverending Story.
1: That's the dragon, right? Falcor the dragon. Yeah, this is actually a very topical uh, tattoo because we are talking about dragons today. Yes, we are.
0: You know, Nadia, we've been running this podcast for like six years at this point, point. and somehow, after all this discussion about RPGs, we've never talked about dragons.
1: That's kind of a sin because dragons are have been along, uh, have been around RPGs like forever since the inception of the genre, and bef- long before that.
0: And I feel like this is your topic, Nadia. Like I should be able to just put on a sleep mask or something. <laughs> Go play some Pokemon Unite
1: and be like, go, go. Okay, just start talking. I'm I'm over here. I'm good. But the fun about dragons is you get to talk about them with other people and, and talk all about what they're like and what they did and what they do.
0: Well, that's good because we got a whole podcast to fill up with dragons. So let's just start getting naming. But first, we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, a little housekeeping. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoy it, please do us a favor and leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. The next thing we have up is the Charlayan Dropouts, episode two of our Final Fantasy 14 podcast. Nadia, can you give us any hints as to what this episode is going to be about?
1: Well, uh, you almost got it there. Very good. Charlie and Dropout, okay? You remember the name of the podcast. That's great. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> we were getting somewhere. Uh yeah, basically we are um we have to record it at the time of this uh at uh, the time of this podcast we're um, recording it on Monday, but our topic is going to be about uh, basically uh speculations going up into Endwalker, like story speculations and whatnot. So it is a bit more of a spoilery than our previous episode, but we are also talking about other things like uh, where we are in the game, what we're currently doing, especially getting in preparation for Endwalker. And we're going over the news of the community because there's a lot to talk about with um, Blizzard's uh, thing. And a lot of people are abandoning World of Warcraft and going to Final Fantasy XIV. And it's causing a little bit of a rift because some of the influencers are getting their listeners in there and... Some people are like, yay, more players. Other people are like, no, we don't want this because it's going to ruin the dynamic and the chemistry of the game when the community, which is so friendly. uh, That's gatekeeping though. So um, yeah, it's a whole thing we're going to go over.
0: I think it is legit to fear that the community will get toxic the bigger that it gets.
1: Oh, absolutely. Especially such an influx of people from influencers. Of course, there's lots of good influencers out there, but this particular influencer who... Is encouraging the the Exodus. Uh, Asma Gold. I can't. I don't know his name very well. I think it's Asma Gold. I don't know him. I don't know if he's a you know a, an okay influencer. I don't know if he's like the kind who tells twelve year olds to uh, hate immigrants or whatever. So either way, though, I am a little bit worried about the dynamic. I think it's a logical thing to be worried about, but at the same time, I don't want. I'm not a gatekeeper. I don't want to gatekeep. I want people to play the game. I want people to enjoy the game. I just want them to behave themselves. That's all I really ask out of people. Uh, there are some problems with server congestion, but Square is doing their best in those regards. Like, you cannot idle. I actually <laughs> put the game down for a second. I uh, went to go talk to my husband for about 10 minutes, came back. I had been logged out because I'd been idle for too long. They are not letting people do that thing they love to do where they uh, go to Limsa Lominsa uh, type in like the dead, uh, the the dead emoji, and lie there for hours and hours at a time. Uh, I don't think you can do that anymore, which is probably good because why are people doing that? There was a time
0: when I could just lie on the ground dead, yeah, for hours. Can't do that anymore. Final Fantasy XIV is not the same. I'm ruined.
1: <laughs> FF14 confirmed dead, like me.
0: Well, maybe I too have an excuse to go play Final Fantasy 14, but not yet. I've been too busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always there's always that thing getting in the way, you know? Yep. In the meantime, we are underway with our latest Pantheon game club this month is Disco Elysium. So please expect some more disco Elysium content on the podcast, including hopefully an interview. I would love to get an interview with the development team. We will see what happens there. And we also recently posted our Fantasy Star Pantheon of the Blood God with special guest Shane Bettenhausen. And that got very favorable reviews. People seem to really enjoy that because Shane is a giant Fantasy Star fanboy. And he came in with an agenda. <laughs> that agenda was to get <laughs> Fantasy Star in the Pantheon. Gosh darn it.
1: <laughs> he succeeded. He is a Fantasy Star machine. If you ever have questions about Fantasy Star, you know where to go.
0: And all the people in the Discord were cheering me being bullied by him. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes bullying is good, Kat. Indeed. Well, you can go listen to that at the $10 level, along with all of the rest of our great content, including the Summer of the Rings. We've got one more. Uh, including the Summer of the Rings, our exploration of the Lord of the Rings, specifically the Peter Jackson trilogy. But we're also going to toss in The Hobbit this month. And in honor of Smaug, we're going to be talking about dragons today. So that is why I was like, let's do it. Let's talk about dragons. But before we get to that point, let's talk about what we're playing, the sacrifice that we are making to the Blood God to appease our dark overlord. Nadia, what's your sacrifice?
1: This week I've been a bit busy. Uh, I came up with uh, basically the the localization project I was working on came to an end, or is coming very much to the end, so I had to wrap all that up. Didn't have too much time to uh, play games, especially sitting or lying for three hours in a tattoo parlor. That also kind of ate into my day. So I just kind of snuck in a bit of Final Fantasy XIV when I could. And I got my Alchemist to level 80 and had a really fun quest involving a veterinarian and uh, an Amaro, which is kind of a a mount enemy. Uh, It's not mount enemy, a mount that you can get in Final Fantasy XIV. And yeah, that was, a, that was a fun time, but I've kind of been chilling game-wise this week. Uh, next week will be different, I'm sure. How about you?
0: I have been playing The
1: Ascent. It is, I've been
0: curious about that. It is a cyberpunk game, kind of in the vein of Shadowrun a little bit, but it is very action-oriented. It is on Xbox Game Pass. It is very red. It is. I have seen the red. It is so red to the point that it kind of gives me a headache. In many ways, it is actually quite beautiful. The environmental art is really gorgeous. These big, dirty, multi-level cities. Uh, The enemies aren't that interesting to fight, but, you know, give it some time. It's a co-op game. Kind of reminds me of games like Dead Nation and that kind of thing. Though there are some light RPG elements to it, for example... Plenty of stats to put skill points into a variety of different weapons that have a variety of different stats, uh, different armor, that kind of thing that you can equip. Uh, you can take on side missions and grind money so that you can continue to improve your character. There are cosmetic elements so that your character visually continues to grow. And it's enjoyable. Um, I wouldn't say that like it is really setting my world on fire in many respects, but... I think the thing that bugs me is just kind of how clunky the actual shooting feels Mm, because so what you do is you'll be running around with your submachine gun or whatever. And then enemies will come swarming towards you much like in say Diablo and you're just shooting them. Right. And I don't know if I'm missing something. It would be nice to have, for example, a a melee attack or like more special abilities, but mostly I'm using my uh, grenades and my my gun, and maybe I'm missing something. It took me a while to figure out how that that I was supposed to be actually upgrading my character's skill points. <laughs> I was like going, <laughs> it did give me a prompt. I had to go Whoops. looking for the actual skill trees. okay, that's fair. Like it was kind of buried down within the actual menus. The tutorialization in this game isn't fantastic. So there might be abilities that I'm not aware of that will make dealing with enemies um, easier or more enjoyable, but Yeah, there are a lot of swarms of enemies coming at me at any given time. So usually what I'm doing is rolling away, hiding behind a barrier. And then there's this odd thing where like, if you start shooting, you'll shoot into the barrier. So you have to hold L2 to aim. And that's how you aim over the barrier, right? And if you're crouching, they'll do the kind of thing where they'll like aim blindly over the barrier and start shooting. Or if you're standing you can still hold L2 and then just like fire over the barrier and take out enemies still kind of clunky, like aiming around, especially because it's a fixed isometric camera. So it's like hard to kind of get your head around, like the enemies that are coming at you from all directions. A lot of the time. Um, yeah, like it's fine. (laughs) Mostly what it's drawn, what draws me when it's not super red shifted and everything. It's just the, The lavish, lavish uh, world design.
1: Yeah, I've heard that it's a very interesting game and it has a lot of possibility, but it does have uh, quite a bit of jank in terms of the gameplay and some bugs as well.
0: Yeah, there's a, a cyber deck element. That's why I was thinking of Shadowrun. And then it's almost like set on a different planet because there are all these kind of monsters and everything. Sort of like similar again to Shadowrun where there are like orcs and elves and that kind of thing. And dragons just show up. One day, it's like, well, oh, hello. <laughs> now we live in fantasy cyberpunk world.
1: Yeah, I think Shadowrun. I always thought Shadowrun was on Earth, but I guess I I could be wrong. No, about, it is. Okay, okay. So yeah, yeah, it's on Earth, and I know that the dragons like run the corporation. So that just seems so <laughs> like perfect to me.
0: The conceit of Shadowrun is that one day, like dragons just show up, people start mutating into orcs and everything, and it becomes this crazy world, right? And then. Yeah. The f- And then it's kind of in the near future, like in the aftermath of this crazy happening in the world. And now, like, people are going into cyberspace and everything. So they're kind of mashing together Dungeons and Dragons and, uh, I don't know, Blade Runner. Because <laughs> that's what people do with these kinds of fantasy
1: worlds and tabletop games. I think that's kind of cool, though. And I think it's quite telling that despite the great apocalypse of the world and the shift of everything, we still have these corporations rolling over us.
0: Yeah, it's always the corporations, even Pokemon. Corporations are ruling over us. Oh, absolutely. But The Ascent, yes, you are right. It does have a lot of bugs, though a patch just came out today, I believe, that added ray tracing to the Game Pass version. Apparently, that was not in that version. I'm playing on the Xbox Series X. I think PC Gamer was specifically referring to the PC version of this game. Also, Co-op, as you already said, was very janky. Hopefully some of the bugs have been resolved. It seems like a game. I, I think the reason that this game is getting a lot of heat is one, it's on game pass day one. And yes. now we've hit a point where people will go, Oh, it's on game pass. And that like by itself is enough to kind of get uh kind of discussion going because people will c- just come in and just start playing this game. That's what I did. I was like, yeah. Oh, it's on game pass. So I'll give it a shot. It's an RPG. I should be able to talk with on the, on the show. And like it goes to show once again kind of the brilliance of Game Pass in general as a uh, as a business model. I look forward to Microsoft finding a way to screw it up at some point in the near future.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, with stuff like Game Pass, with a lot of the stuff that runs our society right now, if it, it you know it, there comes a time and it's always it always comes up where they realize this isn't profitable. How are we going to screw this up? And it's like in terms of Lyft and uh, Uber, they just jack up their prices. That's all they can do. And game pass as much as i love the idea I, I love it as you said it's so convenient for rpgs there's going to be a reckoning sooner or later
0: yeah it reminds me of the premier league which came on yeah. to nbc initially and when it first came on to nbc 10 years ago you could watch it on basically any platform as long as you had cable right and you could watch every game and it was great and then slowly but surely nbc has been adding expenses now like more than 90% of their games on freaking Peacock. You got to be a Peacock if you want to catch some of those games. But not all of them. If they aren't on Peacock, then you're going to miss them unless you have cable. It's the worst being nickel and dimed as a sports fan. So the
1: golden age of being able to watch Premier League whenever I want is over. I'm sorry, Kat. It is actually extremely frustrating how how fragmented entertainment is now. I actually signed up for HBO Max just to watch Chernobyl. And then I canceled once I'd watched it. So uh, fantastic series. Absolutely loved it, but I'm not sticking around with HBO. (laughs) Sorry.
0: I think I'm literally spending like $300 a month on streaming services and subscriptions at this point It is stupid.
1: They took what cable did and made it worse somehow.
0: And I'm lucky because I get like, I have, I got Xbox game pass for free, you know, just to try it out from Xbox. They gave me a code. Thank you, Xbox. I appreciate it. Um, but I'm paying for a Nintendo switch online subscription too. And I'm paying for PlayStation and I'm paying for HBO max, Netflix, God knows what else. NHL center ice. Whenever that starts up again, MLB TV, all of the
1: sports. <laughs> so, oh, that's true. You have to, you had to pay for all of the sports. At least you don't have to do that.
0: Oh, boo hoo. I know. Like I don't need all of this entertainment. I don't need all this entertainment in my
1: life. I could cut it out, but I'm an addict, Nadia. I need it. <laughs> I think it's justifiable for you in sports because, like, I mean, you're all about the sports, so that's fair. But,
0: yeah, Game Pass, yes, disclaimer, Xbox did give me a code, so I guess I am uh, now being an advertisement for them. But it is a cool service, and I would pay for it even if they didn't give me a free code. But as for The Ascent... Eh, I think I'm going to actually like stop playing it soon because I think most of the uh, appeal is in playing co-op, especially the couch co-op, and then also the, the really cool uh, cyberpunk visuals and then the fact that it's free on Game Pass. But beyond that, it's really not hitting on me because the combat is just not satisfying enough to me, at least not so far. It's not grabbing me enough in the early going.
1: That's what I was wondering about because if I played if I played it, I would want to have a solo experience and it doesn't sound like it's the greatest for that.
0: The solo experience is fine, you know, it's just, it's kind of in that Diablo vein in some ways, but not as deep. Much more right. action-oriented than Diablo. You're just kind of getting the gear and everything. That's cool. Like like I said, I remember playing Dead Nation back in the day, the House mark zombie game. and But that was like way more satisfying as an action arcade kind of game. And so, if you could take the action of Dead Nation and the aesthetics and the RPG elements of uh, of this game, The Ascent, I think you would have a winner, but right now it's not it's not gripping me, Nadia. That's, those are my thoughts on The Ascent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that is Kat's review of The Ascent. Who knows? It might be built up in the future to be a lot better, but uh, it sounds like it's okay. It's okay. And if you have Game Pass, you really can't go wrong with giving it a try. Nope. And
0: besides, I have a lot of other RPGs that I kind of want to be playing at the moment. I do kind of want to, I want to keep playing through Neo The World Ends With You, which I've been kind of cranking through Monster Hunter Stories 2, which is like actually quite good. I and, told you. Um, what was it? Also, Pokemon Unite, as always, and Chris Tales. So it feels like there are a lot of RPGs kind of floating around at the moment.
1: There are. There's a lot to polish off. Um, we're not looking at any major releases like really, really soon, but there's lots of smaller stuff that you can absolutely get into until the fall season comes.
0: I have to play Disco Elysium as well. Oh, me too. Yep, that's a big one. It's time.
1: All right. It's time.
0: Let's move on to the news, Nadia. The Activision Blizzard news continues apace. It has slowed down a little bit, but it is still smoldering. Watch, As of the recording of this podcast, The Washington Post and Bloomberg both release very massive reports with... <laughs> basically jason schreier doing a what a goal slam dunk with like 50 sources on his report it's pretty <laughs> wild he knows how to get the news i appreciate him for that yeah, he's that was just him showing off just like oh yeah well i got 50 sources
1: <laughs> well you did your your report was excellent so i Thank mean don't you. feel Appreciate out don't feel outdone or anything like that because we love great. you
0: jason he's been on the show before loves rpgs he's great so yeah
1: i'm sure when Uden chronicles finally showed his face like we'll have him here again but Jalen
0: brack who is the president of activision blizzard he is out he's fallen on his sword he is gone and he has been replaced by jen o'neill who joined blizzard back in january She was the CEO of Vicarious Visions, which is working on that excellent-looking Diablo 2 remaster, and is by all accounts a class act, very good, and one of the only women in the entire business who is at that high of a position. There are like practically no women in technical director roles, Uh, but she will be working alongside Mike Ibarra, who came over from Microsoft and was mainly working on Battle.net. We'll see what happens. It's a tough time for Blizzard. I think if anybody can maybe pilot this, pilot the company out of it, it might be Jen O'Neill. But as I've reported in the past, Blizzard has a ton of issues going on right now. I mean, it has the sexist culture going on. It has HR problems, but then also has like giant gaps in its release schedule. Has a lot of a lot of problems, and I wish them the best of luck in actually trying to get those resolved. It's kind of sad, but like the the myth of Blizzard. It's over. But this is like the third episode in a row that we're going to be end up ranting about this. But yeah, that's the the news.
1: <laughs> yeah, I um, I've heard people say that this shuffle it's just more of a cursory thing. Like it's not really going to make any significant change. Everything has to kind of come from the bottom up. And uh, unionization, of course, is always on, it always has to be on the table. There's no argument about that. Uh, but there is a lot of rot to clear out in Activision Blizzard. I mean, probably some of the worst we've seen in the industry. And I don't know if a single or if, uh, even a few like changes and, and firings and qu- and quits can really change much of what's going on, but it's a start at least. And I think that the, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to do your job, Kat, but <laughs> the, the, the games journalists of today have to keep pushing Blizzard and keeping an eye on them and, being, and reporting on them and, and everything like that. Just keeping them in the spotlight. Don't let them slink off into the shadows and start doing their thing again. As for J. Allen Brack, I would
0: say that his legacy was fraught, to say the least. He came in after Mike Morheim departed in late 2018, and there was always a sense that he wasn't—he had huge shoes to fill because Mike Morheim was this beloved figure at the company. He was the kind of guy who he would have a a barbecue, and then you'd go to his barbecue, and you could get your ideas done. You know, the real kind of a guys' guy. I suppose that would be the culture, right? He'd been around since the very earliest days. And Jay Allen Brack was kind of an outgrowth of that. He was very much the old guard, had been around with World of Warcraft, that kind of thing. And the impression that I always got from talking to various people was that J. Allen Brack was very much somebody who could be successful as, say, running World of Warcraft, you know, being at a director level role. But when he came to being a president, running the entire organization, it was going to be a tougher time for him because he still had that director mindset. He was very hands-on. A lot of people in director-level roles were still reporting directly to him. He had a big hand in the day-to-day. And so maybe he needed bigger vision. For the company overall, and maybe that's why he seemed so blindsided when this all came out.
1: I'm trying to recall. Was he the one who gave that non-apology about Blizzard and Hong Kong back in the day? With uh... yes, he did.
0: Yes. Okay, yeah. That was that... like one of the first things that happened to him too. Was <laughs> uh, the Chung <Blitz-Jung> controversy?
1: <laughs> yeah, I just remember him kind of standing up there doing the South Park thing. We're sorry, sorry, but it was yeah. like
0: one thing after another. Like there were the layoffs. Like, Mike Morheim left, and then it was basically left up to J.L. and Brack to pull the trigger on the layoffs that were going to be coming. They had to, because Activision was like, look, you're way overstaffed, and there are no games coming out. Frickin' make cuts. And J.L. and Brack made cuts, and it sucked. It sucked bad. Something like, what was it? Eight hundred people got let go from Activision Blade. It was Lizards. a
1: huge chunk of people let go, and that did not really endear anyone to the company. Yeah.
0: And then later that year was the Blitzchung stuff. Uh, Diablo Immortal was in there somewhere. That whole thing with the is this a joke? Is, so is it's this
1: just an April Fool's joke. Yeah. It was just
0: like one thing after another, right? And then finally, this was it. You know, this was the the final nail in his coffin as it were which is like he wasn't surviving
1: this one no so he just kind of peaced out
0: peaced out i bet he got a lot of money though he's gonna just laugh all the way to the bank
1: yeah i think financially he'll probably be just fine
0: yes he will gotta I-, <laughs> I want just give me the money jeez I-, I bet i could put good use
1: but yeah i absolutely could uh taking long naps on a bed of money <laughs> that's a good use moving on nadia
0: the other big controversy that is happening right now is Niantic. So, a few months ago, it looked when it looked like the pandemic was kind of winding down, at least a little bit, or at least was under control. Niantic was like, "Hey, we're going to uh, we're going to remove some of the bonuses that we gave out to people to encourage social distancing." For example, we had uh, you ha- you could. Usually you have to be within 40 feet of a Stop or a gym. Well, now you only have to be 80. You can Now you can do it within 80 feet, right? And so they removed those bonuses and people got really mad. Very, very mad <laughs> because it meant they had to leave their house. And they didn't like that very much. And I know I'm oversimplifying it. Don't leave, like, leave me alone. And so recently, Niantic announced a big Sword and Shield event where they were introducing Pokemon Sword and Shield monsters into Pokemon Go. And there was a big explosion of people demanding on social media that Niantic reintroduce some of the benefits uh, from the pandemic, such so specifically the social distancing bonuses. And finally, it got so loud, and people were saying, we're going to boycott Pokemon Go. Niantic came out and said, we're going to look into it. Sorry. Okay,
1: we're going to do it. Jeez. So. <laughs> Please remember to spend your money at the Galar event. Please don't leave before that happens. Yeah, so here's a little bit more detail, because as someone who plays Pokemon Go pretty much every day, when the pandemic hit, they did indeed implement several bonuses, one of which being was that you only had to be within 80, I don't know if it was meters or feet, I think it was meters, of a Pokestop to spin it. And yes, this was good for social distancing, but also good for people who were in more rural areas, and it was also good for disabled people who maybe can't get out that often and spin Pokestops. And re-implementing that now, or, or rather rescinding that, and saying, "Okay, now it's forty uh, feet or meters. Now you have to go back to outside." Uh, it's first of all, it's a matter of okay, you're not really paying attention to what disabled people are saying about how good this new change is, but also the the pandemic is not over. We are, as as I read yesterday there will be fourth waves or there are fourth waves and they're happening
0: right now. <laughs>
1: yeah. They look different, but they're here. And with so many people who refusing to get vaccinated, I just feel like now is not the time to say, Oh boy, everything's great. Now to Niantic's credit, they're saying, they're not rolling out this all at once. Like for example, Ontario still has a lot of laws in place about social distancing. So we still have that extension. They're rolling it out according to regional, uh, Governments and what they say about safety. But of course, as we know, particularly in the southern states, a lot of the laws down there have turned into catch as catch can. Take off your mask, go run naked in the streets for all we care. Vaccinated, not vaccinated, not our problem. So it's just, I don't know, it feels like not a great time to take away that extension. Hell, leave it in. I think it's like so much easier to engage with Pokemon Go with that extension because I have a Pokestop right outside me, right outside my building. But I'm on the 15th floor, so it's not really easy to get down there every single day and to, to spin a Pokestop. So I say keep it. And I think Niantic is going to, a lot of people are saying, oh, they're going to implement a compromise, something like pay for the extension, which would be really, really crappy. But we'll see what they have planned for now. I think they just want people to calm down so they'll participate in the Galar uh, event region. And we'll see what where we are like in September, I suppose.
0: Yeah, you're right. And I'm sorry for being kind of flip about people leaving their house and everything. Cause yeah, you're right. Uh, accessibility is definitely a big issue. And of course, especially in the United States, the pandemic is far from over. America is falling behind in terms of vaccinations in general. And if you like do a compare and contrast with the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom uh, pandemic levels are actually kind of falling. They're also like 20% ahead um in terms of adults being vaccinated. Uh, I think we're United ahead states. of you. Canada's yeah, kinda like we, us. <laughs> we've been tumbling. You know, You've I mean, there are tumbling. some states, there are some states like uh, Minnesota, for example, that have very good vaccination rates. And there are some states that
1: have very bad vaccination and they are getting slammed. They are getting slammed, unfortunately. And put it this way: the U.S.-Canadian border is closed for the foreseeable future. I think there are implement there are restrictions loosened in some regards. You can fly in certain regards to the states, but driving, which of course everyone did, everyone like every day without thinking about it, that's still forbidden, and that's going to be forbidden for the near future because the Delta variant is not settling down in the states. Nope, it's a
0: it's a bummer, Nadia. My uh- yeah. My favorite NFL team, the Minnesota Vikings, have had a big controversy because they are the least vaccinated team in the league.
1: Really? Minnesota?
0: The Good Minnesota goodness. Vikings. Kirk Cousins, our quarterback, recently had to go into quarantine for COVID because he was exposed. And he said that he would go in a plexiglass box
1: rather than get vaccinated. Oh, no. You want to be bubble ahead. boy. But like the Mobile or something, just kind of drive him down the field <laughs> in this plexiglass thing.
0: One of our best receivers, Adam Thielen, doesn't want to get vaccinated. One of our <sighs> best defensive players, Harrison Smith, doesn't want to get vaccinated. And Mike Zimmer, our
1: coach, is just going, what are you doing? Get vaccinated. It's just, OK, it's people who don't get vaccinated, I do acknowledge there are certain um, nuances here. I do feel like workers, a lot of workers are afraid to get that second vaccination because of those those side effects. And you do feel sick for a couple of days afterwards. That's not a joke. But if they can't get that day off to rest, then they're going to say, well, I can't miss work because I don't have any sick days. I can't take the days off. So I sympathize with that because I was floored for the next day afterwards. Some people are just fine, but you don't know what you're going to get. Exactly. You, too. Like my husband, was Pfizer,
0: I was totally I was totally out of out for the count for a solid day after getting the second shot. I think that there it is casting a wide net to say that everybody who isn't getting the vaccination is anti-vax and that kind of thing. There are plenty of people out there who have all kinds of like, oh, I don't I don't know, like I'm getting so much conflicting information or I'm afraid of getting sick or that kind of thing. And I guess I just please get the vaccination. If you haven't gotten it already, I, I beg of you. Like, we really need to beat this pandemic, and it's going to just get worse if you if we don't. We're going to get vaccine-resistant variants. So
1: Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. I feel absolutely no sympathy for football players who think they're brilliant and are saying, oh, I'm, I'm not getting that vaccine. What's in it? Who knows? So my heart is more with the workers who are going to get sick, and they can't afford to take that day off. But then they get sick anyway because... They're yeah. not vaccinated. So it's really a vicious cycle. And I really hope the world gets its shit together soon.
0: Yeah, it's uh, quite horrifying for the people who are unvaccinated. You're at real risk, you know, from Absolutely. Delta, variant. Delta Plus variant. They're yeah. like Gundams now. If, uh, <laughs> if there's a
1: Sazabi variant, I am out. Sit. <laughs> Oh, boy, we have virus and new virus plus. That sounds great. (laughs) All right. That is our COVID corner here at Axe the (laughs) Plug (laughs) Eye. The the cozy COVID corner.
0: Continuing on with news, uh, happier news. EA says that Mass Effect Legendary Edition has sold well above expectations. BioWare can now issue a collective sigh of relief. That was a major win for them. I'm sure that they are just relieved. They can keep going now, but... Huzzah! Mass Effect Legendary Edition apparently has rekindled excitement for the franchise.
1: That's good. Not only does it rekindle excitement for the franchise, but it also gives Bioware a little bit of leeway while they, well, they try to scramble back up to their feet with like Dragon Age 4 and all of that. It was
0: successful because from the start, Bioware had a very clear vision for what this collection was going to be and went about executing on it, and it, the result was a very good product.
1: Yeah, you really need that clear vision and you need to execute upon that vision. And that's why I say as a creative person, I do need direction. Well, you know that as well as anybody. Uh, when a bunch of creative people get together and don't have someone there to issue commands as, as like much as you can be like, oh, they're stuck up, they're stifling creativity. You do need someone there to say, hey, wake up, stop smoking so much pot and get to work. <laughs> I'm not saying Bioware smokes pot. I'm just saying it's just a creative way.
0: I don't know how we got to this point. (laughs) Oh, I think you do. I think that with Mass Effect Andromeda, one of the reasons that it was so, I mean, this is just relegating old territory, but they had a specific vision and that vision turned out to not work. That was the problem. It was like, we're going to have a procedurally generated universe an infinite discovery infinite undiscovery and instead they were like oh actually this is bad this uh <laughs> this idea that we had is not going to work and so they had to go back and try and figure out how to rework everything and then they had logistics problems and the whole nine yards whereas mass effect legendary edition was much more of a focused thing very like strict timeline strict budget they had to get it done they did
1: fair yeah, play exactly. to EA on this one yeah, definitely, because uh, they had a, a road already that they'd already trodden, so they knew how to kind of fancy up that road. But as you said, with uh, Andromeda, it was like, oh, boy, look at these great ideas we have on paper. Oh, no, they don't translate into the game very well. What do we do? I would like to tread a fancy road, Nadia. <laughs> I always tread the fancy road.
0: <laughs> Nadia, part two of Fantasian is almost done, according to Hironobu Sakaguchi, which is just a good reminder that I need to go back and play part one.
1: Yeah, absolutely the same. And uh, we really need to get that to this game on other consoles, but I'm just saying.
0: So uh, my colleague, Reb Valentine, got to talk to Hironobu Sakaguchi for IGN. Cool. And apparently Sakaguchi saw her cat and stopped the interview and said, I
1: love your cat. Oh, can you imagine having your cat blessed by Sakaguchi? Like that would just be the ultimate. And get this, Reb named her cat Robo from uh, chrono trigger
0: right. and so he told him <laughs> that and he goes robo-chan oh robo-chan <laughs> that's amazing Reb must have died oh yeah no she was telling us about this in the in the slack and we were just all dying and i was like that would if this were kotaku that would be an incredible uh that would be an incredible headline for a blog it's like so final fan the final creator of final
1: fantasy loves my cat <laughs> I would say the creator, of Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, blesses our cats. Like, just, like, make it all, like, real. <laughs> but she said that when
0: she posts the interview, which should be going up probably Tuesday, uh, she is going to, quote, t- tweet it with a Nobu Sakaguchi loves my cat.
1: I damn well hope so, because that is a that is very big news.
0: So, yeah, please look forward to that.
1: All right. Finally...
0: Nadia, speaking of Final Fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters, fans are hard at work fixing those bad fonts.
1: Yeah, that's basically the internet banded together and came up with a whole bunch of font options for uh, the Steam versions of Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster. Unfortunately, you can't put them on the mobile version of the game, which, by the way, the mobile version of this game does not support controllers. What the hell? So... That's just another reason, I suppose, if you're going to buy these Pixel Remasters, buy them on Steam because number one, Pixel's uh, number one, controller support. Number two, yes, you have those options for fonts. I think the most popular one uses the font from Mystic Quest, believe it or not.
0: Yeah, there's some good ones, though. It sounds like Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster uses multiple different fonts for different situations at yes. points. Yes, yes. So it doesn't, it's not a complete fix.
1: No, but it's certainly an improvement over this, you know, these squishy ass fonts taking up half the text box and making everyone cry. They do look really bad, don't they? They really do, and it's really disappointing because the Pixel Remasters are fantastic. I've actually resolved that when four comes out, which should be next month, I think I will get the Steam version and I will download the good fonts and I will play with a controller.
0: Yeah, it's another reason that I'm not playing the Ascent is because I want to keep playing Final Fantasy Three. And I will be honest, I'm not actually bothered by that font. I mean, they're not great. I would love for Square to go and fix them. But most of the time, I'm really captivated by how good the the spell effects are, the, the, the how well they manage to do in capturing the essence of the look of the characters while also modernizing them. I think it hits a really good balance there. And it's just completely revived my interest in these classic NES RPGs.
1: I think that Square Enix did not do this these games justice in terms of marketing them, like just flashing them for two seconds on the screen for that presentation. And the games were were pretty much done by that point. Why not give us, you know, instead of spending half an hour on, the, on Guardians of the Galaxy, give us a nice 10-minute segment and show us these games because everyone was freaking out saying, what are these? What's going on? Why do these look so bad? When they're looking at screenshots, they're kind of, whizzing by at a high speed and very low resolution so yeah people were very down on this game when when the, on these games when they were first introduced and that wasn't really fair because as you said they're really nice pieces of work and i'm really excited for uh, four and six
0: all right that is all the news for this week it's time now for the main topic the best dragons in rpgs don't go away So, Nadia, it is the Summer of the Rings, as you may have heard. We are in the middle of exploring all the different ways that the Lord of the Rings has impacted RPGs, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We might jump into Lord of the Rings Third Age at some point later this month. Hint, hint. But I also wanted to talk about dragons and RPGs in honor of Smaug. It's like the Ur example in fantasy literature of the classic dragon. But, of course, dragons go way further back than any uh, Lord of the Rings or anything like that, because arguably J.R.R. Tolkien lifted the concept of Smaug from Beowulf.
1: There's uh, a lot of epic poems that feature dragons. Greek mythology features dragons, like Ladon, who was guarding the Golden Fleece from the Argonauts. Yeah, the dragons are, I don't want to say they're the oldest mythical creature, but they're certainly up there in terms of age, and that's probably because, uh, in part, from the dinosaur bones that ancient cultures found and said, holy crap, there were dragons running around here, so dragons kind of rose out of that myth.
0: That is, why are people so fascinated with dragons? Is it just because we like to imagine giant, cool monsters out there in the world, maybe just a, just across the horizon?
1: I think it's that. I think it's the bones that we found. And I think it's also the interpretations people had of animals back in the day. Like medieval scholars, if you ever look at their pictures of animals, some of them are real whacked out and weird because they all they could do is draw from the descriptions that explorers brought them. Like, one of the funniest things to look up are medieval depictions of elephants because people in medieval Europe obviously aren't going to see an elephant, but they're going to hear about them from explorers and wanderers, and they're going to draw this real stupid-looking thing because <laughs> what else can you draw from the description of, like, holy crap, there's this giant thing with a huge-ass trunk. There's also the matter of, uh, for example, the Kirin, which is Supposed to be like kind of a more uh, eastern take on the unicorn, a very lucky creature that has dragon features and has horse features, and came from Chinese mythology. Uh, that's believed to have stemmed from giraffes, and I could see how that could be the case. How uh, I think it was the Ming Dynasty. How the emperor could see a giraffe and say, "Holy crap, that's a dragon right out of our legends!" Because of the long neck, and the horse features would come from the hooves and the and the long legs and. Yeah, I think people just invented dragons and changed them as time went on and on and on. And uh, they're really fascinating creatures because, yes, they are in practically every single mythology. Like we talk about Bahamut and how he's part of D&D and Final Fantasy. Originally, uh, he was from, I think it was Babylonian myth or something of that sort, the creator of the world. So dragons have just always been around in our stories and, and myths.
0: There's a dragon myth in like every culture around the world, which I think is pretty interesting. Is it just because of the dinosaur bones or is it because snakes are weird and so we (laughs) want (laughs) to, so we just want to turn them into giant monsters?
1: Yeah, I can see that being the case too. Um, I mean, I love snakes. I think snakes are awesome, but there's always been that fear of snakes because they're poisonous and, you know, they kind of can squeeze you to death in some cases. Uh, Most snakes are good though. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, there's a dragon named
0: Humbaba, and I'm almost certainly uh, pronouncing that incorrectly, but there is a quote, Humbaba's roar is a flood, his mouth is death, and his breath is fire. And that kind of reminds me of the whole, and my breath death was smog <laughs> in The Lord of the death. Rings. I have to wonder if Tolkien like, borrowed from that a little bit.
1: That sounds a little bit borrowed to me. Yeah, My tail's a thunderbolt, my wings a hurricane, and my breath death. That sounds very, very Tolkienish. ish I mean, that's such a
0: cool line. I'm sorry. It's one of my favorites.
1: Me too. I, I don't think I like the way it was depicted in the in the new movies, but I'm sure we'll get into that when the time comes. <laughs> one of the, my favorite uh,
0: debates that are always happening is when people get super pedantic about what a dragon
1: is versus a wyvern. Oh, okay. This is a thing that's really come up a lot lately because uh, I think Game of Thrones is to blame in some regard. Yes, dragons and wyverns shouldn't be interchangeable, but in many cases they are. If you want to get really picky about it, dragons and wyverns have very different representations in, in heraldi. Dragons, of course, have four legs, uh, wyverns have two legs and a pair of wings, and the way that it is now, it's kind of interchangeable, where dragons and wyverns are considered the same thing, and for example, the dragons in uh, Game of Thrones are wyverns, technically. They walk on their front legs, and in a way, it makes more sense for a dragon to move like that, to move like kind of like a bat, but it still pisses me off because no, the Drogon is a wyvern. He's not a dragon, and this is not something you can argue with normal people because they tell you to shut up. So <laughs> I don't <Shut> bother up. <laughs> exactly.
0: Four
1: legs for dragons, two legs for wyverns. I I think that's the case, and I think actually in the uh, Song of Ice and Fire, there the dragons that the Targaryens have are. They're, they're they have four legs. So, is this like a budget thing? Is this like something that animators just find much easier to animate? I don't know. I'd love to talk to someone about it and say, what is your problem?
0: I like dragons better than wyverns because it's cooler when they have the big wings on their back and they're striding forward on all fours with the big, long necks. The very much the Western European kind of vision of a dragon and then breathing fire as opposed to having their being almost like bat-like with yeah. the arms actually being in the wings as it were yeah
1: yeah there's also the option of uh, wyverns holding their wings back and just walking on their two legs and that looks really awkward i have a wyvern in final fantasy 14 who does that and i always feel bad for him when he has to walk because it's just like man walking looks really hard for you i'm sorry
0: dragons have been part of fantasy literature basically from the beginning and a lot of that is to do with lord of the rings but of course myth because dragons are cool and fantasy literature is always going to be lifting as much as possible from historic myths so it's no surprise that dragons have been embedded in the very dna of fantasy and rpgs from the very start for heaven's sake the freaking Gary Gygax tabletop RPG was called Dungeons, Dungeons and, and dragons. dragons.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, dragons have always been the centerpiece of fantasy, both tabletop uh, literature, video games. And I think that was especially the case for earlier stuff because of Tolkien's influence and in Smaug. who, by the way, I've always had trouble pronouncing. I always used to say smog, but no, it's smog. You got to get that kind of second syllable in there somehow. And when you look at Smog, he's very much the classic dragon, like the depiction of a dragon in modern Western myth, a gold hoarding monster who's capable of wiping out towns and will wipe out a town if you piss him off hard enough. That was the dragon that we tended to get with early fantasy literature and earlier fantasy uh, games. And depictions have changed a lot since then, but you really can't go wrong with the scaly evil monster dragon who's just like hey don't you touch my gold or I'll, I'll screw you up
0: i mean and that goes back to like beowulf where Be- the dragon in the beowulf is awakened because a jeweled cup is stolen by a slave from its lair and then beowulf the heroic figure has to fight against the dragon or even back in antiquity with the argonauts where there's a dragon guarding a golden fleece. And so this dragon, historically, we've had this image of a giant monster guarding a treasure, right? And that's Absolutely. just perfect for a role-playing game because you're going on a quest to go find <laughs> the treasure or the dragon guarding it. Gotta beat the dragon.
1: Yeah, that feature is always carried over accidentally for our adventures because, hey, we have a bunch of people together. Uh, what do you want to do? Let's go harass a dragon and take their stuff. Okay, that sounds awesome. Uh, isn't that wrong? No, the dragon's bad, so it's okay.
0: Yeah, and... Kind of also goes back to David and Goliath, right? The heroic knight with uh, in the in shining armor, maybe something to the like Sleeping Beauty, where you have the little knight with the sword facing off against this absolutely enormous creature, right? That is breathing fire and seemingly unbeatable. It like it hits just right in our in our lizard brains somehow, which by the way, the uh, Prince Charming fighting the dragon in Sleeping Beauty is one of my favorite like scenes from
1: all of Disney. It's so beautifully animated. That is so epic. It has not aged a day. It's incredible.
0: And from an RPG standpoint, I think one of the reasons that I got into Dark Souls from the start is that it captures that feeling very well of you being this little figure in the, in the armor with the sword. And then there's a giant dragon, usually strafing a bridge somewhere and you're going how in god's name am i going to take this thing down and then you actually figure out how to do it and that is like the essence of video games right there
1: yeah i have to hand it to dark souls they really capture that classic little guy against a huge dragon they put the threat back into dragons it's actually funny i had a really good friend who despised pern and i said why she said because dragon riders of pern turned dragons into these these fire breathing ponies that every girl wants instead of like what they used to be which would be like you know these huge guardians of of death and treasure and i'm not going to agree or disagree i just thought that was a funny remark dragon
0: riders of pern now there's a name i haven't heard in a long time
1: i was never a fan um i kind of tried it i just didn't like the writing uh, more of a fan of the uh, Heart's Blood series, which I never really read a lot of, but I, I liked the depiction of dragons in that very much. Pern was a
0: cool idea. It was a very cool idea. If you're not familiar with it, it's about people who are colonizing another planet, and they arrive and they discover this thing called like Thread. Thread, And yeah. Thread destroys organic life. And so they train dragons for some reason, to ride on the dragons, and the dragons incinerate the thread before it can hit the ground, right? And the dragons have to maneuver around the thread uh, as they're incinerating and everything. And it's kind of like ace pilot flying around yeah. on a dragon, <laughs> taking out thread. Uh, so, and it should be like right in my wheelhouse, but like like you, Nadia, never really, never really grabbed me though. I did, I did read them when I was a youth.
1: Uh, I was just never a fan of the writing. I- I'm not a fan of uh, McCaffrey's style. And also, she was notorious for suing people back in the old days of the internet when they tried to write pe- uh, Pern fan fiction. So I always have a—I'm uh, always a little bit irritated at authors who do that. So you're—you're you're much more of a *Dragonlance* reader. I was a big *Dragonlance* fan. Uh, I kind of get to tweet Margaret Weiss on occasion. <laughs> I, I did mention that thing in our *Fantasy Star* universe uh, tear down with uh, with Sh- with Shane how. Noah and Odin were based on Caramon and Raceland, and I, th- I thought that was really cool. I tweeted that to Margaret Weiss, who is the author of some of the most prominent Dragonlance books, and she thought that was pretty awesome. When it comes to
0: dragons, do you want your dragons to be cool, or do you want them to be cute?
1: <laughs> oh no, don't make me choose. I like both. I-, I think I like cool better, though. When they get all Puff the Magic dragony, I get annoyed. Yeah, um, I know that some dragons, like some of the more mascot-like dragons and the more, usually happen in Japanese RPGs, they tend to get kind of annoying. The only exception
0: I will make is Dragonite, which is actually basically just Puff the Magic Dragon with the little wings. I like the big wings. The bigger the wings, the better. Yeah, yeah. And the rounded snout, I prefer the much sharper snout for the most part. Um, I like lots of sharp, pointy angles. Not too many... Not too many spikes like full Monster Hunter, but like slim and dangerous looking and fast and huge wings that are spreading out um, yes. over the, to create a really cool silhouette, right? That, that's the yeah. kind of dragon that I like. So it's funny that I like a Dragonite. And I think I, at the time, I did, not, I did not like Dragonite all that much in the original Pokemon. But when I watched the anime, <laughs> okay, <laughs> hear me out. Okay. In um the end of the Orange Islands arc, which I am convinced uh partly inspired Pokemon Sun and Moon, uh, Ash is fighting a Dragon Trainer who's basically a stand-in for Lance um, in the finals. And the, the trainer sends out Dragonite as their final monster. And it's Dragonite versus Pikachu. And this Dragonite, probably one of the biggest badasses. That has ever been deployed against ash in the early going of pokemon and ash uh, really good fight not gonna lie uh the, that dragon hits like a freaking mac truck it's flying uh it totally gets into it with charizard charizard's doing the seismic toss and everything it's all good so
1: i think i remember that fight and i'm not someone who watches pokemon and that was really cool and i have to hand it to pokemon because Dragonite, as you said is very cute Not exactly threatening, but at the same time, when a trainer sends him out, you know that he's not exactly a pushover, unless you have an ice beam, then he's dead. But yeah, he's just uh, as cute as he is. He doesn't act cute. He's he's all business, and that's what I like about Dragonite.
0: And he makes a cool noise, kind of a... Yeah, yeah. And the first time you see the Dragonite, which is actually one of the first times you see the Dragonite in the series, like, properly... Uh, you see it soaring low over the water, uh, and it's not flapping its wings. It's just flying like a freaking bullet, and you're like, oh, that's kind of <laughs> cool,
1: actually. Yeah. So I was into it. And you wonder, like, okay, his wings are tiny, but he's still kicking ass. Okay, he's all right in my book. And uh, the shiny version of
0: Dragonite is like this dark green, like this rich forest green, and I I, I like that color a lot.
1: I'm actually not a fan of that color. I was disappointed that Dragonite Shiny, sorry, that Dragonair Shiny turns into Dragonite because I love Shiny Dragonair's color. And I'm not even a fan of pink. Just something about that shade of pink I think looks really good on the monster. So I kind of wanted a pink dragon, but I guess the forest green is okay. For a long time,
0: dragons were by far the most overpowered type of Pokemon out there. They would almost always be pseudo-legendaries, and usually, like, using, for example, Outrage, you could wipe out an entire team, especially if they got a single Dragon Dance under their belt, which would raise their attack and their speed. That would be how you finished off a team, is you removed the Dragon Checks, which were usually Steel types. And then you go, okay, I've removed the Steel type. They can't just block me. You're going to die now, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm going to one-shot your entire team. And I, you know what? I was okay with that. I was okay with having a team that was built around setting up a dragon as a finisher right so but then fairies came in freaking fairy types much more dragon type than fairy type and fairy types can just hard block any dragon so now it's like i have to get rid of the fairy type as well in order to make things work but oh wait the fairy type can actually probably uh sweep me i don't like it do not like fairy types nadia can't ice types totally destroy a Dragonite too? I thought they could. They can. However, you don't usually want to use ice types because ice types have a lot of defensive weaknesses to very popular types. Fire attacks and fighting attacks have historically been very popular and they just annihilate
1: ice. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's more of a desperate gambit than an actual strategy.
0: Usually you would want to put out a bulky water type like Jellicent who can then burn a dragon or fire an ice beam or something to that effect uh, that can be able to take a shot and then be able to knock out a dragon. Because often, especially the flying ones like Salamence, tend to be somewhat, uh, you know, they're going to take quadruple damage from a, f- from a single ice beam. However, Haxorus, right. which is this big old praying mantis guy from That's Black awesome. and White, he, he was a little tougher to take down because he was just a pure dragon type. And I my, I had a Haxorus. He was a shiny type. I got it from Black 2 and White 2. I named him Precious. And so I was just imagining going, go
1: Precious. <laughs> Can you imagine being the opponent? Oh, Precious. It doesn't sound so bad. Oh, oh God, no. And it's humongous, too. <laughs> she named it ironically. <laughs> it was ironic. No.
0: <laughs> I, um... Yeah, the dragons since uh, Black Two, White Two haven't been as much haven't been as fun. There's a really g- gross one, Gudra. Gudra like is
1: is so popular, and I don't understand. I caught a, I can't remember the pre-evolved form of of Gudra. Um, I don't remember, but basically I caught it in Pokemon Go, and I'm like, oh, gross. And I tried to name it Fetish, but they wouldn't let me do that. And I tried everything to get around. The, this, the center block, to name it Fetish. So they, they, they had it covered from every angle. It got a hand at Diantic. So finally I settled on F-E-T-T space I-S-H. So that worked. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that it's a popular Pokemon amongst some people, if you know what I mean. I don't get it at all. I'm not here to kink shame, but I just don't get it. There's
0: another dragon from Black and White. I think my least favorite one. It has a pink head... And a green body, and it looks like something out of Roblox for some reason.
1: It's just a very dumb looking Pokemon. I'm not sure I know the one you're talking about, but it does feel like a lot of like, it does feel a little bit like the Pokemon team snaps some Lego together sometimes and said, okay, here's our new dragon. And then there's Tyranitar, which is I a like dark Tiranitar.
0: rock type, but yes. he's more like a dinosaur, actually. And yeah, he can fire up a sandstorm when he comes out, and he, uh, he was a dominant Pokemon for a long time. I don't know if he's still as popular in the metagame, but at the time, very strong.
1: Yeah, he's really cool. I like. Uh, Do you say he was dark and uh, dark rock? But is he? Is there any dragon in there at all, or no? No, no. It's just but he looks dragony. He does. Yeah, definitely. And of course, there's the ancient joke about how Charizard is not a dragon, even (laughs) though he is a dragon. But unless he's uh, evolved, I think Charizard X becomes uh, a dragon type.
0: And in the original Pokemon Red, and I promise we won't spend too much more time on Pokemon, but that's just like the first thing that came to. You don't see any dragons until the very end. Yes. And then the first time you ever really encounter a dragon is when you meet Lance the Dragon Trainer who looks cool. He's got a cape. Awesome. Yes, he's He's got a cape. He's the final guy. You've been fighting really hard through the Elite Four. It's a grind. You're going, oh my god, this is so hard. And then you come upon Lance the Dragon Trainer. He's like, I train dragons. You're like, what? That's terrifying. (laughs) You've got a cape. You mean business? And then he sends out his dragons that are using Hyper Beam on you and probably wiping you out because Hyper Beam... uh, Means business, and the original Pokemon yeah. Red and Blue,
1: Hyper Beam was quite OP in the original uh, original Red and Blue. One thing I really like about Sword and Shield is it really makes the dragon battle feel like something. The one against Rihon. like I love that battle. That was a lot of fun. One thing I actually like about Pokemon, this is a little bit off to the side, but not quite. I like the way a lot of the dragon trainers are dark skinned because I believe in representation. And I think the idea that these dragon trainers, the coolest people are like Brown and black. Uh, I think that's a really awesome addition. If I was a kid and I was like, you know, a minority, I think I would think that was pretty cool. That is pretty cool.
0: For a long time, there was basically practically nothing that could stop a dragon. It felt like in Pokemon and, and, that's because Pokemon, dragons are supposed to be strong. That's just how they are in every RPG, in every game. A dragon is usually a late-game enemy, sometimes an optional boss, that uh, frequently an, an optional boss. For example, in Dragon Age Inquisition, there are like eight of them that you can fight optionally. And they have their own quest chains as well, and they're very strong. and. That is just, that is all the optional side content and you're fighting things like the abyssal dragon, (laughs) you know,
1: these are not early game enemies here. No, I think what I put in the notes is accurate where I said you will never fight a dragon alongside slimes. They are middle game, end game fodder. They are there to let you know that the difficulty has ramped up. So it's time to get good. Sometimes there are dragon welts. Yes. They're so cute. Little babies, I think. But I think even in the Dragon Quest series, the little baby dragons can be a little bit of a higher uh, fight. But even in that case, the idea that, oh, okay, I'm fighting a baby dragon, that means you're going to fight mom pretty soon. Yeah. And then when... Are are there any
0: dragons that show up relatively early game? or Because they always seem to usually be final bosses, optional bosses. Maybe they pop up in a cave somewhere. Like, even, heck, Bahamut which is just a straight-up rip-off from Dungeons & Dragons, let's be honest, was an optional boss in the original Final Fantasy, right?
1: Yeah, and that's actually another thing I pointed out in the notes. Final Fantasy was a little bit new in the idea of having a dragon who tested you, yes, but was good and wanted to help you and reward you if you passed their test. That's always the way Bahamut's been. And, of course, Square got that from D&D. Bahamut is the... Uh, the the force of good for the the series whereas tiamat is the the bad dragon but still for someone who didn't play tabletop rpgs or knew much about D i i like that idea that here was a good dragon who would help you out
0: bahamut and tiamat just lifted
1: straight out of dungeons and dragons don't even care no 100 percent. i love how they did that actually i love that we have two versions of bahamut in in mythology. Uh, we have D and D, and we have uh, we have Final Fantasy. The way he's depicted there, and of course, there's the original myths that Bahamut and Tiamat are from. But oh, who cares about them? I guess. I was looking
0: at lists of the best dragons in RPG history. Bahamut is consistently listed, and what's funny is that Bahamut came from myth. But in myth, Bahamut is a fish.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's a fish. I can't remember if Tiamat was actually a dragon. I think she was. But yeah, Bahamut, I know, was a fishy fish.
0: But when I think of Bahamut, I think of Final Fantasy, which is just goes to show how much Final Fantasy has co-opted that imagery for itself. An increasingly badass-looking dragon, too. Just like, I remember in Final Fantasy VII, there were like three different variants of him, right?
1: Oh, there was. There was a Bahamut, Bahamut Neo, and Bahamut Zero. Bahamut Zero is, is just insane, where he has six wings and literally nukes from orbit, whatever you you, you tell him to nuke, and uh, getting Bahamut Zero is a whole thing in itself. Like, I think you have to save all the large material, which isn't easy, and if I recall the demo for Final Fantasy VII, which went out and was supposed to make people kind of change their minds about saving up for an N64, and it probably worked, that had the Bahamut Neo summon in there, which is also ridiculous, where bah- you... The enemies are lifted into space by uh, magic, and they meet this huge-ass dragon who just, again, nukes them and sends them plummeting down back to Earth. You can't look at that and say, holy crap, that's amazing. It, 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 I'm sure a lot of people were, were, are, were made that much more excited for Final Fantasy VII just by that summon alone.
0: Yeah, you want to talk about Hyper Beam from Muhammad. Uh, the, the flare attack is yes. really cool.
1: Yes, um, I actually like the original name for Flare in the West, which was Nuke. So in Final Fantasy, the original, you had, um, I think only War Machine used Nuke. And of course, it was a level eight black wizard spell, a black mage spell. In Final Fantasy four, when you fight Bahamut, he in the original translation, he uses Mega Nuke, which is such an amazing name for a spell. That was changed back to Mega Flare, which is, of course, the more... Uh, traditional name. I think the idea, though, is that Bahamut does fire for nuclear damage. He does not fire for fire damage.
0: Makes me think of Godzilla, which I don't know if you could consider a dragon specifically. He's more of a got that prehistoric thing going. But of course, he does breathe fire, except it's not fire. It's atomic breath.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's exactly what Bahamut is using. And in Shin Godzilla which
0: is done by uh, Hideaki Anno when he does uh, like crazy atomic breath, right? It's like one of the coolest and scariest moments of the entire movie. And it feels apocalyptic when Godzilla is using that particular attack. And that's what I like to see out of my dragons. Gosh, darn it. If they're going to use their super attack, it better like look really cool. It better have like super impact. It better not be just like this little piddling kind of small breath
1: that doesn't have a very good sound effect it better cause like an explosion I want this to sound like the end of the world Yeah, and that is why actually the going up against Bahamut in 4 is so epic because you go up against him and the first thing he starts doing is counting down and whenever a boss starts counting down that is no good so if he hits 0 he will unleash mega nuke which will almost certainly wipe your party if you don't take precautions. And the way to beat Bahamut in the original Final Fantasy IV is to use Wall. Send it back at him. Or maybe get Kane to jump if you're lucky and he avoids the attack. Now Final Fantasy IV, uh, sorry, for the DS, this is how much of an asshole this game is. It took away that whole thing. You can't beat Bahamut by bouncing your magic back at him. No, you have to do things the traditional way. So have fun with that.
0: It makes me think of the lamest monster, the lamest dragon in Final Fantasy history, which is the Earth Dragon, which you could beat just by casting Float, and then it can yeah. actually can't actually hit you. <laughs> yes. Come on, guys, get down. Come on. Come on. What Come are you going. And for some reason, the Earth Dragon likes to hang out in the opera stage. I guess.
1: Yes, he's in the opera. This was in Final Fantasy VI, where at the end of the world, um, once Kefka. Initiated the world of ruin, you had the eight dragons who were unleashed. So you had these eight mega bosses wandering around final. again Fantasy. optional bosses, right? Uh, optional bosses that you could fight. Uh, one of them, yep, you're right, was the Earth Dragon just hanging out in the opera house on the stage, and the impresario was like, uh, oh, can you get rid of it? We have this dragon as if like he's just like a roach or something. So that's a that's a fun battle. What's very interesting about the seven dragons, or eight dragons rather, is that one of the the first one you're probably going to encounter is the storm dragon because he's hiding out in Zozo, which is one of the first major tasks you take on when you have the airship, and he's a very very hard fight. He you are not meant to take him on at that point in the game, but uh, if you accidentally step on the trigger that frees him, you're for, you're forced into the fight, and he's probably going to wipe you out. So that's kind of terrifying. That gives you PTSD every time you see one of the dragons like on the map, and you say I'm not I'm not screwing with that thing. Not that it really matters. You get kind of a crappy materia, not materia, um, uh magicite shard for beating all of the dragons. And it's just by that point, the game's pretty much finished. So, eh.
0: When, it, when you are making your totally unique fantasy world, it feels like the first question you got to always ask is, okay, but how do dragons figure into this, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they almost always have to have a really big part in the actual lore, right? Where dragon, but they're usually old gods or something. This is the case in like Dark Souls. This is the case in Dragon Age. I think this is the case more or less
1: in Skyrim, where you have a whole freaking game full of dragons. Yep, the whole thing. That's actually an interesting game with its dragons because we mentioned how dragons are usually kind of uh, mid-tier bosses, end-tier bosses. I feel like Skyrim throws them at you very early and it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, okay. As I recall, you go to White Run and then Yarl's like blah blah blah. There's a dragon hanging around. And you're like, oh no! And you go to fight that dragon, and he sends like a bunch of troops with you. And it's even though it's early in the game, and you usually don't fight dragons at this point in an RPG, it feels all the more epic for that because you're going up against what you know is a very strong enemy. I mean, you saw uh, the town ruined by uh, Alduin when he interrupted the execution, so you're you're kind of scared of dragons at well, this you point. You see a
0: dragon right from the start because you're about to be executed, and then a dragon shows up and starts messing everything up.
1: Yeah, so of course you're fighting this dragon that's hanging around Whiterun, and you're you're kind of scared of it because you're, you saw what Alduin could do, but thankfully this is a wuss dragon, so... It goes down. It's not easy, but it goes down, like, eventually. And, yeah, you beat your first dragon. Yay. And and then you get to meet Parthenax. And Parthenax is really cool. The funny thing about dragons in Skyrim, and it's the same in
0: Dark Souls, actually, is that you can just stand back with your bow and go, plink, 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 plink. (laughs) And then their their health bar just slowly inches down. You're, like, going, plink.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Who's doing that? Stop that.
0: Oh, dead. You know, they're supposed to have these diamond scales that are impregnable except for the one little iron arrow that just keeps hitting them for one damage
1: yeah one of the earliest mistakes i made in skyrim was carrying around too many dragon bones those things are heavy but the dragons in skyrim are cool because you hear the first thing you hear is
0: a roar and if you're gonna do dragons you better have really good sound effects around them
1: yeah yeah
0: you hear the roar and you'll start immediately scanning the sky in fear because you're like, ah, oh, crap, there's a dragon around here. Where is it? And then maybe you end up being on fire because when they're using their fire attack, it really hurts.
1: Yeah, that sound early in the game when, that, when you first hear those dragon roars and you're still low level and you're like, oh, my God, where is it? Because as you said, if it stays out of sight long enough, it can surprise attack you very easily.
0: I think there's a mod that allows
1: you to ride the dragons because people are like, yes. oh, I want to be able to ride the dragons in Skyrim. There was also an expansion, I think, that let you do that. Um, mm-hmm. You could ride one specific dragon. I can't remember his name, but that was apparently kind of limited and disappointing. As you said, though, there's mods for everything in Skyrim, including turning the dragons into Macho Man Randy Savage and Thomas the Tank Engine. So yeah, <laughs> Always Thomas the Tank Engine. Always, it's always Thomas. I mean, I grew up with Thomas. He was all right, I guess, but whatever. He's, he's a dragon now, I suppose.
0: Makes me think of the Nazgul in Lord of the Rings. Like- yes. Yeah, what's well, cooler than a Nazgul? How about a Nazgul riding a dragon?
1: Yeah, and again, you have that sound, which is extremely threatening. If you hear it off the distance, you're just like, oh, crap. I hope they didn't see me. And if they saw you, well, you have a problem.
0: If a dragon roars so loudly that your character
1: actually freezes, that tells you that that dragon means business. There's actually a term in Dragonlance called dragon fear, which is where if a dragon gets in your vicinity, you're probably going to be so terrified you can't react. And I noticed, uh, of course, Dragonlance is very, very heavily borrowed from Lord of the Rings. And I noticed that very feature was in Lord of the Rings when a Nazgul swept in low and was screeching like the people were, were so afraid they couldn't move. And one of the generals I can't remember, was who was saying, like, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, like work past it, work past it. So just the presence of a dragon in certain in, in certain instances can just be enough to, to freeze you because they're so like just huge and overwhelming.
0: And you mentioned Parthenax. I mean, that is one of the most memorable moments early in the game. It's when you're climbing the throat of the world and the ice and the snow is all around you and you're trying to get to the top of this mountain, you're struggling against the elements. It hits just right. It is an extremely well done scene. And then finally you get to the top and you see this gorgeous dragon curled up and of course... Parthenax plays a big role in
1: the story and you get to decide whether or not you're going to kill the thing. Who kills a dragon? Come on. No, I never kill Parthenax. I can never do that. He has that famous line about what's better to be born good or to overcome your nature with great difficulty. He has Mario's voice. He is Charles Martinet. And you can hear it if you're, if you're listening for it. You can absolutely hear him. And I actually I saw Charles Martinet once at Toronto Fan Expo. Uh, it was the end of the day and no one's really there so I got to talk to him for a while. He's a really really great guy. Oh. I kind of tried to get him to say it's a me Parthenax, but I don't think he <laughs> <laughs> took the hint so he didn't do it. But yeah, I really liked the encounter with Parthenax because dragons um of course are usually bad in Skyrim. They're their main, your main your main enemy, your worst enemy. And then you've had this good one who has a he teaches you what you need to know like to control this power of yours. He's Really, really interesting character. I like Parthenax a lot.
0: You'll have good dragons, and then you'll have evil dragons.
1: Yeah, that's a very D and D right there. Chromatic bad usually, metallic good usually. Or for example,
0: with well, I'm trying to think of it. Oh, I mean, Skyrim did that whole thing with good dragon, bad dragon. World Warcraft did that as well. Because mm-hmm. so you had uh, Alexstrasza, who was good dragon and could become a girl with not enough armor on at any given time and on the not on the evil side you had deathwing who was the star of a cataclysm and i will have to say that i was never a big fan of the design of deathwing because so okay so i used to read the warcraft 2 manual um pretty religiously i loved it and that was where i was learning about like alex straza who had been chained down and was her babies were being used as uh and as basically cannon fodder by the orcs and everything and then you had deathwing on the other side who was just like a big mean jerk he's <laughs> gonna come out and kill everybody and i always thought that deathwing was a little over designed a little a fat. Little bit. i don't like chubby i don't like chubby dragons i like the thin ones
1: sorry i'm fat shaming the dragon well there are some dragons are very chonky and very like kind of uh, for example, TSR's designs for dragons are very thick. Like if you look at the way their, their wings are designed, they're very mm. muscly. Uh, but yeah, I kind of like more thinner, uh, suave dragons. The suave dragons, very handsome.
0: And then there are the zombie dragons that are in Warcraft 3, which uh, they also pop up in Valkyrie Profile because why not need to have a dragon in Valkyrie zombie Profile? Zombie dragons
1: are always awful. They always have the worst attacks. There's one in Breath of Fire 3, Rio has a 10-year level skip. Sorry, 10-year year skip. And uh, he wakes up, and the first thing he has to do practically is fight a dragon. And it's a, dro- it's a zombie dragon that poisoned you, and it's just a, real, just a real dance. Don't like it. Dragons are
0: a big part of Fire Emblem. And dragons are always big. And if they're not big, then they're kind of lame. I've seen some lame dragons in video games before. The ones that aren't very big, they're actually kind of small, and you're like going, oh, come on. but then in fire emblem i remember very clearly the final boss of blazing sword where the dragon was so big that literally only the head fit on the screen so when you went into the battle uh the head would come down and you could like do an attack on it and then it would do a huge fiery attack on your party and it looked amazing on the gba
1: screen i was so impressed i remember that and every time you initiated a fight it would swoop in and you could just get a scale for this huge ass dragon that looked like it was very capable of ending the world and i remember this well because uh i used like uh what's her names lord pent and lady louise and lady louise chose that moment to tell lord pent she was pregnant just as they're going up against the dragon and I'm like, oh, "Oh, what great timing. Thank you for that." Well, you're pregnant?"
0: <laughs> I'm trying to oh, find well. a
1: dragon here. You're telling me you're pregnant? <laughs> uh, it won't be it won't be a problem in a few minutes if we don't if we don't like, you know, kill this thing. So those are some of our favorite
0: dragons, but what about your favorite dragons? Well, Nadia, I went on Discord and I solicited some of the favorite dragons from our listeners, and here is what they told us. Duckmeat said that the dragon from Paper Mario Thousand Year Door yes. is one
1: of their favorites.
0: Hooktail, Bone Tail, actually.
1: Oh, Bone Tail. Oh, okay.
0: And they were like beating Bone Tail felt like such a huge achievement when I did it. I actually think Bone Tail is harder to fight than the Shadow Queen, if I remember correctly.
1: Uh, as I recall, I never fought Bone Tail, but they are an optional boss, I believe, and they are a they are quite a struggle. There's I know there's Hooktail, bone tail. There's, they're a trio of siblings, basically. I can't remember the last name. Katie says a Fulu
0: from Breath of Fire 4. He hits all the high notes of a dragon with ancient elegance, sophistication, and power that stands out as a sympathetic character.
1: Yeah, we actually just recently talked about this on Retronauts. Fulu was a topic that came up because we talked about Breath of Fire 3 and 4. 4 is actually not a game I have played much of, and I go into detail why on the podcast, but basically I don't like the format that they have going on. I, it makes me a bit cramped and motion sick, but I do like Fulu as a character. He's very interesting in that he's, I believe he has a dragon who used to be worshipped, and he goes to sleep or whatever, and he wakes up, and nobody's worshipping him anymore, and he's really pissed off about it. And he, <laughs> Ryu is the second half of his power or whatever, and he goes to go... F- find it and blah, blah, blah. But I do like the idea of a dragon sleeping, waking up and everyone's like, go away, boomer. We have cell phones now. Not saying that breath of fire four had cell phones, but you get the idea.
0: Why aren't you worshiping me? Come on. Yeah.
1: I can understand why a dragon would be pissed off when no one's worshiping them. Like nuclear sandwich loves the dragon from
0: dragon age origins. And I'm not going to spoil it, but they do have Kate Mulgrew's voice. (laughs) Well, Hey, can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. It's a it's a cool reveal, I think, and a good fight. Dragon Age has some good uh, has some pretty good dragons, which I would expect from any game named after a dragon. I would hope so. Uh, Biwo says for me, Dragon Quest Four was one of my first JRPGs, and seeing heaven as a bunch of dragon races with a great Toriyama style dragon as god was effing killer.
1: Oh, that's the divine dragon. Yep. Uh, in later dragon quest games he still pops up as a boss as an optional boss he can if you beat him he'll he'll grant you a wish and he's very 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 shenron probably on purpose i think that uh of course dragon quest takes credit for bringing our almost like bringing dragons to our attention in in like uh nes rpgs the dragon lord himself is very interesting because he's a jerk He's a very uh, driven, like one note boss. I've stolen the princess, ha ha ha, come find me. So you have to do that. And much of Dragon Quest is all about finding the things you need to be the Dragon Lord because he's such a formidable opponent. And one thing I find interesting is that uh, sorry, Dragon Lord's extended family is kind of nice. Like you meet his grandson in Dragon Quest 2 and he'll help you. Uh, mostly because he feels like Hargon has no right to the world. It should, be, it should belong to the Dragon Lord family, but the point is he'll be like, hey, how you doing? And I'll talk to you. he will be really chill about it. Uh, Dragon Quest three, there is a, a character called the Dragon Queen, and if you visit her, this is close to when you're supposed to go defeat Zoma, if you visit her, she'll give you a ball of light that you need to defeat Zoma, and then she'll die as she gives birth. And the egg she leaves behind is heavily speculated to be the Dragonlord. So his mother was a very benevolent figure, and the dragon lord again is a dick. So that I like that contrast. Never loved the dragon designs in Dragon Quest too cartoony. Oh, I I love them because they're so so Toriyama. I adore them. Um, if you want to talk about dragons as a mid boss, though, that's an excellent excellent example of the green dragon guarding the princess in the cave. Vic Boss says
0: Crystalux from Golden Sun Dark Dawn. Very specific poll there. I approve. The dragon that would later be known as the Summon Crystalux started out as a nameless CG dragon in the commercial for the original Golden Sun. It had nothing to do with the actual game. In the commercial, a conductor and her orchestra battle the inside of their opera house as the furnishings come to life. One of them is a chandelier that manifests as a dragon. Again, cool. nothing like this ever happens in game. Then Golden Sun Dark Dawn comes out on DS and features a section that takes place in an opera house where the party gets to summon Crystalux a recreation of the Chandelier Dragon that was originally designed by some Western marketing firm a decade ago for a completely <laughs> different game. It rules. The design is killer. And I love Crystal Lux.
1: That's really, really awesome. That's I a love great that. story. I love that. That is great.
0: It reminds me of a Pokemon where in the anime, you saw Ho-Oh at the end of the first episode long before they had ever actually come up with Ho-Oh.
1: Yeah, that's right. That mystified me because even at the time, I was just like, clueless about how far ahead Japan was with these things while we were just kind of getting started. And of course, Zambagel says the first boss of Final Fantasy IV, the Mist Dragon. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Mist Dragon is definitely one of those tutorial monsters that you get at the beginning of many Final Fantasy games that teach you the mechanics of your characters. Mist Dragon will turn itself into mist and will counterattack if you hit it while it is mist. So the idea is to wait until it reforms, and then you can attack it again. It's not exactly complicated, but it is very different from the encounters you have up until that time. And then you kill the Mist Dragon, which means you kill Rydia's mother, which means, uh, well, you've, you've kind of, you're kind of a murderer, sorry. Correct me if I'm wrong. In Final Fantasy
0: IV, the big, re- the dramatic reveal of Rydia returning is the Mist Dragon coming out and using the, the attack, right? Because the Mist yeah. Dragon is a summon for her.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's a big reveal. Um, that was in the Tower of Zot, I think, and you're you're facing off against Golbez, who was just murdering your ass with the help of his black dragon that he has. And just as he's about to defeat Cecil, uh, the mist dragon comes out, materializes, and gets rid of the black dragon, and Golbez is like, who dares? And then Rydia steps into the fray, and the music starts off, and it's really, really cool, and also really annoying, because it's still extremely easy to die at that point and have to go through it all over again.
0: And finally, Epic Awol says Null from Lunar. He was the cute, silly mascot, comedic relief of the game, best buddy pet of the main character, and eventually a good old deus ex machina when he eventually (laughs) matures into a full dragon. Considering I don't remember a whole lot about that game except for Nol and Jessica because I played it so long ago, I'd say he made a great impression on me. Not a big fan of the, I keep saying this, not a big fan of the mascot dragons, but when they turn into big badass dragons, I'm into it.
1: Yeah, um, another mascot dragon, of course, is Flammy from Secret of Mana, who mm. you find. Flammy's Flammy has a great design, though. I love Flammy's design, and Flammy is part of a really interesting reveal in the game. But the the point is that you find Flammy as a cub, and his parents have been like killed by a giant snake, and the Mushroom King decides, okay, I'll raise him for you. And again, this is a there is a Deus Ex Machina where the empire is about to defeat you, and Flammy, who is apparently grown up in a in a flash, swoops in and saves you. And becomes your mount. And that is so cool. Like the effect, the, the, the Mode 7 effect is really, really good in Secret of Mana, as good as it can be. So they, you, you get to fly on the back of this dragon while looking at the world scroll below you. And that's just so cool. And singing
0: the never-ending story. Yeah, exactly. It, it is
1: very, very Falcor. Because <laughs> he's all <laughs> white and fuzzy. But uh, yeah, and then towards the end of the game, the music changes to something much more apocalyptic when you're flying. And it's just so amazing. And the
0: final boss from Secret of Mana, which is also a dragon, is so cool.
1: Yeah, that's uh, he's, uh, the Mana Beast looks a lot like Flammy, and it's something the characters point out. And it's just kind of insinuated that Flammy is descended from these, this giant monster that once destroyed the world and is about to do it again. So, oh, look at my cute little dragon. It's actually uh, descended from this world destroyer. That's really cool. And on that note...
0: There are a lot of dragons to cover throughout RPG history. We only touched on a few, but I'd love to hear some of your favorite dragons. Just keep sending them out.
1: Maybe we'll read them. Maybe we'll have a dragon corner at
0: the end. We should really,
1: I, I am pro dragon corner. I am pro talking about dragons. If anyone wants to have another episode about dragons, please feel free to say so. Because <laughs> I will say yes. Yeah.
0: One of our patrons who's at the $50 level. Hasn't submitted their, um, their choice for topics
1: yet because it's that time
0: again and i i just recommend dragons again
1: <laughs> you, you really can't go wrong and i'm kind of disappointed you didn't name uh one of my my choices here <clears throat> grace velger from final fantasy 14 quote unquote scored with the human chick and the allegory catholic elf elf church completely lost its shit that's the story of heaven's word
0: indeed well there's a lot more to talk about on the dragon front so i'm sure we'll get back to this topic at another time but in the meantime that's the end of this week's episode if you enjoyed the show do me a favor leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice we really appreciate it brightens our day of course you can follow me on twitter at the underscore kappa nadia is at nadia oxford and our patreon is patreon.com slash blood god pod we'll be back next week as always to talk more about the genre we love but until then for nadia and myself thanks for listening Happy adventuring dragons, Dragons I mean, you want to talk about a hyperbeam uh, obama, Obama, Ba. Bomb- <laughs> <it. laughs> Obama's firing his hyperbeam from his tan suit.